0: change
1: I'm Jen I'm peter and we feel the need to have productive conversations on this podcast ones that are actually mm-hmm. going to further the mission of economic populism in the united states I would hope and ranked choice voting i would think is a pretty important topic that we need to be discussing among other things
0: yeah right now i'm working on connectivity
1: well our connectivity is is a we're having mis- and i
0: don't know why because we have two different things built into this room. Like that shouldn't be happening. We're in a,
1: we're in a, we're in a studio.
0: Well, it's (laughs) in a garage, but, but there are, there are two things like we have a thing for the backup thing. Let's give
1: it a minute and hopefully it'll shake out. It usually does. I'm
0: I'm texting. Thank you,
1: labor. I'm glad you believe in us. I'm texting tech support. support (laughs) Yes. Hi, this is technical support. And your problem has been fixed. Um,
0: No, I'm texting tech support.
1: Thank you so much, Double K. So this is a a sympathy contribution. That's really nice.
0: You know what though, but we have it like, and then I back up like we're, I have it set up that we should not be having issues anymore. And yet there are still issues. And I just, there's nowhere else to turn to. You know what I mean? That's the problem. So it's like, if I weren't an atheist, I'd pray for it. You know, I think maybe that higher power can well, actually you can help pray with my to internet. But reality. I don't, I have, I've gotten as high as I can go in trying to solve the internet issue. So it, it, that's, that's all I got.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, who, who does uh, Joe, who uh, Who does George Carlin pray to again? He Joe pray, Pesci. He prays to Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci's still alive. So technically uh, you could pray to him. <laughs> And just he? hopefully. Do you, you it remember it?
0: why? Because he's something Because he, he gets
1: because he, he gets things done. He looks like Joe Pesci fix done. it. Fix the internet. <laughs> Get fast T M O with fast fiber. I'm not sure what that is, but, but
0: fiber. I don't know what I have here. This is so out of my out of my like range. I don't know what the deal is.
1: No, so we, we, we're we hoping, and, and I'll pray. Okay, so net neutrality, yes. Well, of course we <laughs> yes. need. Well, there's another topic of populist uh, interest that I think most people would agree on. We do need net neutrality. And I am sure Representative Dolans can talk a lot about that, being in one of the most rural states in the whole country, where I'm sure there's a lot of people who do not have access to the internet, which is amazing. Yeah,
0: well, that's the problem, is that, you know, again, we're, it's the implosion of capitalism. It's the, yeah, it's the we're, of it, we're just gonna eat our own.
1: We can't solve it with one issue, but one of many issues. And I think we can all agree that without question, if we are able to get ranked choice voting, that that is definitely going to help without question. Yeah. So without further ado, let us bring in, let us, let us hope and pray to whoever. Whatever your fix may be, there's four thousand religions in the world uh, that this is going to last and be strong. So, he is the representative of the ninety-third state house district in the great state of Oklahoma. Mickey Dollins, welcome to generational change.
2: Hey, how y'all doing? Glad to be here with you
0: tonight. Hi, nice to meet you.
2: Yeah, you as well. Thank you.
0: Absolutely no! This is great. This is we're we're building a web. I'm building a spider. I'm I'm knitting a web of connections. So welcome.
2: You know, I think your prayers to Joe Pesci worked because you're coming in very clear.
0: (laughs) That's what
1: I'm talking. You know, (laughs) I can't. I should. I should practice Pesci. I can't. I can't. I could do a few different voices, Mickey. But (laughs) I haven't practiced Pesci yet. But he would be. But he would be a great one. But I, I would be amiss without. Acknowledging where the initial conversation for this actually came about, we were prompted to a degree by FairVote, although we totally were uh, up to this <coughs> conversation regardless of who was going to be oh, yeah. in coming on board. But I cannot say good enough things about FairVote efforts that they've put forward around the country role in helping that get voting on the back and passing. Uh, there are a lot of other states uh, that are probably going to have a harder time like Oklahoma and of course, Florida. But
0: well, it's Seriously, we will be underwater before that happens. So we really shouldn't waste the resources on that here. I'm just saying we all need to aim for higher ground. David, so-
1: David Dolly, welcome to
3: Generational Change. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on tonight.
0: Hi, absolutely. Thanks for coming. And we really appreciate what you guys are doing. I mean, and I don't think a lot of people understand how important it is, you know, but let's let's bring everyone in. Well,
1: the the they are the political party that is was founded by Andrew Yang and is obviously pushing rank choice voting is one of the primary uh, topics of the, of the day that we need to be fighting for regardless of which party you support. Lord knows, we wish we wouldn't have to support any specific party, but those are the rules, and, you know, <laughs> we want to improve those rules. So I hope I'm not going to butcher this, but I'm going to do my very best. Mike Onstead, welcome to Generational Change. Thank
4: you very much, and very well done. Glad to be here.
0: Okay, did he get your name right?
4: Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was spot on. <laughs> Can you guys, Jerry. Having
0: issues? See,
4: I can hear. You. Yes, we can hear. Yeah, you. You can hear us. Can That's you hear us? Yes, yes, I can. Yes.
0: Okay, so it's not us. Well, welcome and thank you. So I actually had messaged Andrew the other day and said we're having a discussion on on ranked choice voting. Any any chance you know you have any interest in attending? And the next thing we know, there you are. Thank you for coming.
4: <laughs> well, happy to be here. Thank you for for it having worked us out on.
1: perfectly in that regard. So, obviously. Absolutely. So, David, I would obviously like to start with you. And obviously, Fair Votes mission, which is to bring ranked choice voting to probably every state if possible. We know some are going to fight it a lot harder than others. We know that our governor, Ron DeSantis, has been uh, on a war path, if you will, uh, in regards to his vision for America. And (laughs) one of those in the state of Florida is you have two choices and that's it. So, (laughs) David, I do not agree with that. I don't think the overwhelming majority of people agree with that. But what is the ultimate goal of Fair Vote, not just for today, but for years to come?
3: That's a great question. Thanks for having me on. Um, Fair Vote um, is a nonpartisan electoral reform organization, and we've been working on ranked choice voting for uh, 30 years now. And we're thrilled that really it's the fastest growing nonpartisan electoral reform in the nation. And it is for really good reason. It gives voters really important tools that they need increasingly these days in which uh, so many elections have got more than two candidates. And when you have an election that has more than two candidates, you are forced to do some kind of crazy algebra or calculus to try to figure out, can I vote for the candidate I really want? Or do I have to try to stop the candidate I like the least? Am I able to vote for who I want? the most. Um, What if I vote for the candidate I like the most and I end up electing someone who I hate? Um, And this is not good for democracy. Wouldn't it be so much easier if instead of that kind of twisted calculus, voters could walk into the election booth and just go one, two, three, and then our elections work kind of like an instant runoff. If nobody has got 50% on the first round, uh, the last place candidate is eliminated. Those votes get redistributed to the uh, first choices of those candidates. And you end up uh, really with the candidate with the deepest and widest support. Nobody is a spoiler. Everybody has their say. Every candidate has to reach out and talk to people all over the place. It's not enough anymore simply to go out and activate your base and work on outrage, you have to really try to appeal to the most people. And if we can do that to our politics, we could see a lot of things change in this country.
0: Yeah, I always try to explain ranked choice voting to people in a way that it really is the system that would be the best indicator of the majority of people, right? Like it's the it would be the, the cleanest, best way to have a functioning republic. You know what I mean? Like that's just how I think of it. So I think that's great. Right. Um, I mean, and it took me a while like to understand that. it.
3: Yeah. I you. If you look at something like the New York Congressional primary in Manhattan and Brooklyn from last summer, right? That the race that um uh Dan Goldman ended up winning, uh he won that race with 28% of the vote in a primary. You had three progressives <laughs> who split 59% of the vote in that rate race. So the quote unquote winner of that race was not the person who most people wanted to see. It was a plurality winner with 28 percent of the vote, winning an uncompetitive seat and essentially being launched straight into Congress. You had something similar happen in 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 Michigan, uh, in Detroit, where for the first time now, Detroit is not elected, um, is not represented by a black member of Congress for the first time since 1955. Uh, and that is because you had several black candidates in a primary uh, in, the, in Detroit's, a new 14th district. Uh, you, had, you had eight of those black candidates splitting 72% of the vote. And a non-black candidate wins a black majority seat with about a quarter of the vote. Ranked choice voting fixes all of these problems. It's a really effective tool for voters. Yeah. Mickey, you're in
1: uh, dead red Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Uh, In many elections, every single county goes red. Um, But I would imagine that in one party dominated states, there's probably a great deal of interest, even if they're not necessarily interested in voting Democrat, but in having other options. and how has that been received? Because you've been very actively pushing ranked choice voting on social media.
2: Yeah, you make a great point. Oklahoma is the reddest state in the country. And I qualify that by in 2016 and 2020, every single county went for Trump. And that was the only state in the union to do that. And a lot of that has to do with, as a result of gerrymandering. And as we've seen uh, with the fiasco of the speaker's vote in Congress, uh, gerrymandering played a big part in electing some of the more far-right extremists, some MAGAs, that are dictating to uh, Speaker McCarthy what he has to do and how he's going to rule his caucus. And unfortunately, what that means for Oklahoma is you have Republicans who may be considered uh, moderate, but they must go extreme to pander to their bases in order to come out victorious in their primaries. And so while having conversations about ranked choice voting or instant runoff voting uh, with my colleagues across the aisle, they have been for it because it discourages negative campaigning and it makes it to where they don't have to just really uh, pander to to the fringes of their base in order to be victorious in a primary. And so I have written a, a bill that would send it directly to the vote of the people on whether or not that they would want to incorporate ranked choice voting and some uh, state elected offices and statewide offices. And uh, while I have yet to have one of my colleagues who have voiced uh, support for it Behind Closed Doors uh, to come out publicly and support, I'm still hopeful that by the time we start session in February, I can at least get one Republican co-author to give it some support. Because I've been told by a Republican Senator in the, in the House That if I can get a Republican co-author in the House and the the state senator would be my author over in the other chamber. So I know that there is an appetite for it. And um, I came across ranked choice voting just looking at different institutional reforms that would decrease polarization in the state. One being campaign finance reform, ending gerrymandering. We already have term limits in Oklahoma. I know we're gonna talk about that later, but then another one was our primary process and how we how we pick our voters. I mean, how, we, how the voters pick their politicians is the way it should be. And so w- the one that really stood out was ranked choice voting and wrote a bill for it. And we'll see if it gets a hearing here in February.
0: I have a question for you. When you have people that are willing to say, yeah, I support this, but they're not publicly willing to come out. What in your state do you think is what they would find threatening? Because usually whatever your, you know, third party threats are in whatever your districts, your regions, that they either the Democrat, if it's a blue state or Republican, finds more threatening. You know what I mean? Like what what is going on in Oklahoma? They wouldn't want that, that they would be. No, we're not going to do that.
2: Extreme backlash from the fringe. They've seen, of course, uh, you know, the MAGA Republicans um, blame ranked choice voting for the fact that Sarah Palin didn't get elected to Congress, you know, the way it worked in Alaska. And it worked exactly as it should. But when I, when I do, when I am vocal about this on social media and I talk about it, I'm sure they may be reading some of the comments, but it's not, it, it, it's not well liked by, let's, let's just put it that way.
0: Yeah.
1: Mike, obviously, the forward party has been uh, at the forefront uh, in terms of their messaging of really hammering home ranked choice voting and open primaries. What has been the overall reception, regardless of whether or not people who vote for the forward party in the future, but just the idea of really making ranked choice voting a centerpiece of our electoral uh, you know, issues and
5: obviously what we need to do going forward. Yeah,
4: I think we're breaking up a little bit. I'll just jump in there. I think we've seen tremendous enthusiasm for ranked choice voting uh, amongst forward party members and people who are interested in the forest in interested in the forward party. Uh, there's also a huge educational curve and learning curve for us reaching out to people who are in this kind of independent third party space about what ranked choice voting is. I will say we're also ranked choice voting our our uh you know our Nevada t- state lead was instrumental in working with groups like Fair Vote to pass the Yes on three initiative. Uh, so we're actively working on that. But in other states there are other voting reform initiatives like approval voting or star voting that people are very passionate about, that are also being considered. There are also ways to get at the same problem, which is reducing polarization and increasing choice for people. So I think for the forward party, for forward party members, what resonates the most is just giving people more options and more power to express themselves to those options. There's a wide swath of Americans, nearly 50% of Americans uh, choose not to identify with either party at this point. And yet every election, They walk into a ballot box and they're told, you have to pick option A because if you don't, then option B will win. And it's really limiting on empowerment, really limiting on choice to constantly be stuck in this, choose your side because you think the other side is worse, rather than saying, oh, I can pick somebody that I really believe in, somebody who spreads a message that I believe in, who stands for policies I believe in, and still be able to select a second, and third and fourth choice. So that if that person isn't the majority consensus pick, then at least my voice is still heard. So this is important. Not only, I think a lot of times we talk about this is important for moderating Republicans and Democrats uh, to what Mickey said, it disincentivizes negative campaigning, it incentivizes broad coalition building, but the other thing it does is it opens up the political system to more options and empowers people to vote for non-traditional candidates and non-traditional parties, uh, which I think is another reason why a lot of times uh, entrenched political parties, uh, especially ones that have a stranglehold on a state Are reticent or fearful of enacting ranked choice voting?
1: I think those are all really great points being made, and would like to hear from all of you guys regarding you know you think about what it would have been like if Ross Perot had ranked choice voting when he ran in 1992, and how much of a different election that would have been, and how much different maybe even the last presidential primary would have been if ranked choice was available. That was one of the main. you know, ingredients for Andrew Yang and the reason he chose to, you know, go over parties because he felt that, uh, you know, he probably talked to a lot of voters who said, well, look, you're not my first choice, but you're my second choice, my third choice. And I think that is, is the need to start that conversation uh, in terms of how you change the overall uh, electoral process. And the probably the same is true for being a Democrat in Oklahoma. They say, well, I don't normally vote Democrat, but I like you, but I'm voting GOP first. If I have a second choice, I would vote for you i think all of this is interconnected in a lot of ways how do you guys see it
2: yeah i think that uh, having ranked choice voting would encourage third party candidates to put their name on the ballot um, i've go i'm going I'm going into my third term fourth term actually and each time i've had an election it's only been a You know, me as a Democrat and a Republican, there's never been a third party candidate. But I loved what Mike said about giving the people empowerment to put their name on the ballot, whether they be independent, libertarian, or the forward party. Uh, It gives people more options, which makes people feel empowered, which I feel like would increase participation in in the whole democratic process. So any anything that would get people enthusiastic about participating and engaging in civics, I'm all for. Uh, one of the reasons why I decided to make this bill a ballot initiative is to give my colleagues cover because if it were to just be something that they wanted, but they passed it through the House and the Senate and, you know, fat chance the governor signs it. But if, let's say, that did happen, I think that they would get way more backlash from their more fringe base than if it were to just go to the vote of the people and what we're seeing across the country are ballot initiatives really taking um, an important role in major decisions when it comes especially to personal decisions like reproductive freedoms and Jerry, and then gerrymandering and, and of course in nevada like i think you just mentioned it mike uh, was it. Uh, option or choice three that would have had success and passed, um, that, that is so important. And Oklahoma is one of the 26 states. It has a ballot initiative process. But in the like many GOP-controlled states, it's currently under attack. We have seen for the past two years, and the bills have already been filed again, that would increase the threshold for a ballot initiative question to pass from a simple majority to an astounding 66%. Now, what's really interesting about Oklahoma is while we are the red state in the country, we also passed some of the most liberal progressive ideas via ballot initiative. The medical marijuana is some of the most liberal in the country. We passed Medicaid expansion, Obamacare via the popular ballot, criminal justice reform. If the senator's idea to increase that threshold from a simple majority to 66 percent, none of those life changing Um, revenue changing measures would exist today, but we would, we'd still have cockfighting in Oklahoma because the people of Oklahoma voted to ban that by 56%, which wouldn't have met the threshold to pass. So we'd still have cockfighting, but not healthcare for 250,000 Oklahomans, which now have it under Medicaid expansion. So important reforms like, uh, ranked choice voting, um, independent redistricting committees, uh, campaign finance reform are all possible through the ballot initiative and make no mistake they, they will not be touched if it were just up to the GOP controlled legislature alone. That's why one of my top priorities this session is protecting that ballot initiative process and ensuring that d- direct democracy stays where it belongs right there with the people.
4: Vicky, that's so important. You know, I don't think a lot of people don't in America don't realize either they're in a state where there's no such thing as ballot initiatives or they're in a state where they've always had them and they don't realize that almost half the country doesn't have that ability for citizen-led ballot initiatives, which is, you know, when you kind of step back and look at it, you think like, wait, you mean I can't, like as a citizen, I can't even mobilize the majority of my fellow citizens to make a difference. And it's just wild to me. So uh, protecting that is so important. There's, There's a whole slate of, of electoral and legislative reforms that we need in our country, which Forward Party uh, is, is supporting. And, and it comes with ballot initiatives, it's open primaries, it's final five, it's RCV, it's approval voting, it's independent redistricting. Because the reality is, I, I, I'm i a comms guy, I like to say every time you say duopoly, an angel, angel loses its wings, because like people just tune out when they hear you talking about the duopoly. But when you put it this way, that there are two major parties that are run this country for 150 years, and the only thing they can agree on is keeping their power secured amongst themselves. And so they do work bipartisanly to protect their power. Uh, and, And so you see Democrats like Mickey in deep red states who are like, hungry to change the system so that there's a more equitable system and a more citizen-powered system in their country. But you also see Democrats in deep blue states who reject things like nonpartisan districting or who who like gerrymandering, who don't want RCV. And so it really is about, and and this is, I think, what, what motivates people, not just in forward party, but broadly speaking about this electoral reform. I mean, keep in mind, 80% of RCV ballot initiatives that were on the ballot in 2022 won. Like name another political issue that wins with 80% success rate, it's unheard of. So it's incredibly popular. And especially when you explain to people, this is how you reclaim your political power. Like you who sits on the couch and is like, it doesn't matter if I vote because the two parties are power or because I live in a deep red or a deep blue state. This is how you get up off the couch and reclaim some of your power. Uh, And it's through these electoral and governmental reforms.
2: Well said, Mike.
3: And this certainly is super important at the state and local level. There it is. I like
0: clicking on the mute.
3: (laughs) Go, David. Go, go, go. And this is this is super important at the state and local level, as we've been talking about. It's also really important at the presidential level and the national level. Um, we are looking at, in 2024, what could be massive presidential primaries on, on both sides of, of the aisle, right? You, you had 24 Democratic candidates running in 2020. You had, uh, what, 17 Republicans in, in 2016. This is a recipe for someone to walk away with the nomination after winning a series of primaries with 35% of the vote. Um, It it is a recipe when you combine a single choice um, with mail-in voting. um, When so many people are casting their ballot for president, one of the most important ballots that that they will cast, two or three weeks early and their candidate drops out ahead of the race like we saw so many candidates drop out in 2020 on the eve of super tuesday you had three million democrats in the 2020 primaries cast their ballot for a candidate who had left the race by the time the primary had come in what if these states offered ranked choice voting and if your candidate has dropped out of the race you are able to have a backup choice rather than simply having your vote effectively be discarded. We talk a lot about voter suppression and and, um, and people not being able to have their voices heard. This is a really uh, important and not talked about way in which people lose their voice and ranked choice voting is a really effective cure for it. And you go back to, to, to 2016 and you look at the Republican primaries, it, it took Donald Trump about two months to get to a point in which he actually won a plurality in a Republican primary. He cleaned up with 33, 34, 35% of the vote in all of those races, collected enough delegates, pushed enough candidates out of the race. But if that race had come down to him versus anybody else, the polls show anybody else won, but anybody else did not get the nomination. Ranked choice voting is, is the tool here that allows voters to have the power in our democracy, again, to ensure that majorities actually rule.
2: We couldn't agree more.
4: Yeah, I think it's funny you mentioned that, David. you probably know this, but I, I live in Virginia and Republicans are opposed to ranked choice voting, except without question, one congressional primary in Virginia, the because population. for that exact reason, they want to keep some, some of the extremists out and protect their own system. So they know it works, but on the national scale, on the national level, on the statewide level, they say like, oh, no, we can't possibly use that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I, without question, the biggest concern that we have is with the powers that be that do not want to relinquish any type of power. Um, I think we should see the efforts that were put forward by pop up. That decided that they were going to hold the voters now, voting out there. But limits what? Now, say what we, about where think that can overall affect, you know, the electoral landscape. I actually think it can have a tremendous effect for this reason. The longer somebody sits in political office, the bigger their entrenchment can ultimately become. It's much different if you're dealing with somebody who's been in office for, let's say, three or four terms versus somebody who's been there for 20 terms. Scary thought. But, you know, I I do think that just the fact that any type of electoral reform is on a topic of major discussion because it will get a floor vote, I think is gonna put you guys see it.
3: I think it's absolutely right. And I, I think if you want a good example of this, just look at the um, effect of ranked choice voting on New York City Council um, a couple of years ago uh, when the New York City adopted ranked choice voting via charter uh, commission amendment process. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, a council that had been uh, the province of men and the old guard and New York's political establishment—it it changed almost overnight. For for the first time in the history of the council, it's now majority female. You saw uh, uh, firsts and 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 um, um, uh, people of color r- representing. Communities that had never had representation on the council before suddenly winning seats. You saw young people winning seats. It was a revolutionary change. Uh, And the folks who won office there uh, credit ranked choice voting for making it happen.
4: Yeah, I, I do think the ranked choice voting provides different communities more opportunity and Mom, more power you. to express You guys, have any board.
2: thoughts? I'm sorry, guys, you kind of cutting out a little bit.
1: We're working on it. What your, your thoughts on the, the term limits and obviously the concessions that were made, Mickey?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So there's kind of a catch 22 on term limits. Um, You know, of course, I'm in the legislature now because I was a public school teacher and I ran for office after epic revenue failure in Oklahoma due to trickle down economics. I was one of about 500 teachers laid off due to lack of funding. And so I decided to advocate for my students and fellow teachers from inside the Capitol by running for office. And here we are about seven years later, and there's a whole new bunch, I would say about half of the legislature is now new and did not experience that tumultuous and very difficult time when we had no money and we were having to cut revenue to core services. And we have a one-time infusion of federal dollars and guess what's on the legislative agenda this year? It's tax cuts. And so one of the problems with losing and or turnover of legislators is they're real quick to forget the history of what got us into some terrible situations. Also a lot of institutional knowledge is is left. Um, of course, the lobbyists and the people who hang around the Capitol for decades, they retain all of that. And, and when you understand how um, the process works and all of that, it gives you an advantage. And so while I am not uh, keen on like we have in Oklahoma, 12 year term limit. So I'm going into year seven and I'm just at the point where I'm like very familiar with most of our agencies and I'm, I've got great relationships built up. And, you know, in six years, I'll be gone um, if I can con- continue getting elected. But on the flip side, I don't think you should be like James Inhofe and serve uh, 60 years in the Senate or however long he served. You know, prior to his retirement this past year, he was the longest serving senator in the the U.S. Senate. And so while I think that, you know, it shouldn't be like a, a 60 year term. Uh, limit. Um, I also think that 12 years is a little short. So maybe something right in the middle, maybe like 24 or 30 years or something like that. But, you know, of course, you want to give people the opportunity to jump in and have a chance. I know that some states they'll have a 12 year term limit and then you take you have to have a cooling off period of four years or six years and then you can run again. Um, so th- there's there's like a balance. and I think uh, balance to everything is is welcomed and good, but uh, at the same time, I've just seen so many really um, smart but experienced legislators get termed out and then get replaced with someone who's very, very new and um, naive and, and, and votes in, in ways that um, they won't have to be responsible for. So for example, um, coming up with these tax cuts. If if they do vote for tax cuts, many of them are thinking, "Well, I want to vote for tax cut because it's good for my next reelection." And whoever inherits the legislature in twelve years, it's not going to be my problem. A whole new legislator is going to have to, legislature is going to have to come in and and fix it. So it it really skirts some of the responsibilities for future planning and making really uh, smart decisions when it comes to policy that's going to pan out really well for decades and not just what's convenient or advantageous for your next re-election.
4: And I'll say, you know, the forward party doesn't have an official stance on term limits. It's the kind of thing we would be open to, but isn't a a platform plank. But I think, you know, to to talk also about not to, I mean, not just pivot everything back to RCV, but I think it's really useful to think about the way in which that helps to to be a quasi-term limit, which is to say that if a legislator stops being productive, if a legislator becomes corrupt or if it's revealed corruption, you know, somebody, I mean, like there's always a possibility of somebody like a George Santos uh, conning their way past everyone and getting elected into a position of power. But the the primary system and then the general election systems that we currently have, Protect, inculcate these people from facing real consequences, uh, even as their independence or as their legislative prowess or, or even mental faculties sometimes decline, because you have a basically like a twelve percent approval rating for Congress right now, but like a ninety-four percent reelection rating, and it's because the rabid primary voters ardently reward incumbents. Uh, And then once they get into these general elections, they're predominantly in safe districts. And so they get reelected. Well, reforming this entire electoral process, age limits is kind of like that there are term limits, sorry, not age limits. Term limits is kind of like that thing you put into place because you can't figure out how else to get rid of some of these people. But the reality is that reforming the primary and general election process to open this all up might give you essentially de facto term limits where people who aren't just cutting the mustard anymore, we have a much easier way of getting rid of them.
3: It's really hard to get rid of people when uh, something like. Yeah, I mean, that's, It's really hard to get rid of people when something like 35 congressional districts in the country are actually considered uh, competitive out of out of 435. Uh, and in those 400 races, uh, it is it is a one it is a one party uh, uncompetitive primary. Uh, and if you've got multiple candidates in those races, you are going to have a fraction of a fraction of the people choosing everyone's r- representative. And what we just saw in the speaker's fight, right? So many of the members of Congress that uh, were dragging that, con- that that vote on and on and pushing the caucus further and further to the right, uh, further to an extreme where most Americans are not, uh, were elected from the most gerrymandered states in the country, from Florida, from uh, Texas, from Arizona, from Ohio, uh, and they were... Oftentimes, folks like Matt Gaetz, uh, who were elected with just a fraction of support in, in a party primary, with ranked choice voting, you would see a different kind of member, a member who is incentivized to work in an entirely different way. Yeah, you you definitely bring up a great point. And uh, a couple of thoughts
1: um, that I also want to get from you guys. One of the other concessions, and you and Mike, you were bringing up a really great point in terms of not just the fact that these districts are so gerrymandered, but that because of the money factor, it becomes so unlikely that you're able to knock off an incumbent. It's like a 94% success rate of re-election. But Another major concession that the populist GOP was able to get from McCarthy was now in the GOP primaries. If it is in our safe district, then obviously there could be a definition as to what is a safe district is. My guess is the same, that's over a plus seven. Uh, those districts cannot be challenged or in or the RNC will not get involved. If two candidates in the same party want to run against each other for the nomination, even if it's a 20 year incumbent, have at it. I, I think there needs to be immense pressure put on the Democratic Party to follow suit and do the same thing how do you guys see it
4: well I'd say you know I mean it's an interesting debate first of all I find it I'm very uneasy with the idea that that governmental decisions essentially who runs Congress hinged on explicitly campaign demands that's a very disgusting place for our politics to be in the first place. Um, But I will also say, as I'm somewhat of, I'm a former Republican, I'm somewhat of an institutionalist in the sense of like, there used to be a sense that these, you know, Mitch McConnell's leadership fund, that the House Majority Leader's leadership fund was used to keep some of the crazies out of primary systems. I think McConnell still views it that way. I'm not sure McCarthy does. But that explicit promise to stay out of playing in those primaries, one potential negative effect is that MTGs and people like that who are extremely popular with a very rabid base will have no opposition from a larger funded opponent. Now, I look, I don't, I don't like that process. It's not a pretty way to depict our politics. That that the the incumbent political, uh, you know powerhouses are the ones picking and choosing in primaries. But there is a real danger, I think, about radicalism. And again, this all goes back to the primary process. Such few percent of people do vote. Such few percent of people even can vote in explicitly partisan primaries. And as a result, someone like a Marjorie Taylor Greene, someone like uh, uh, Matt Gaetz, uh, they have a much greater chance if there's no larger kind of normalizing moderating force trying to run against them in primaries. So I, I think it's explicitly a demand from the Freedom Caucus that's designed to increase the number of people in the Freedom Caucus. Um, and given, I think, who many of the Freedom Caucus members are in their relation to January 6th, that, that has me very worried. Yeah, I just, I, you know,
0: back, my thought on, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: I was just Mike put it really well, but uh, it's another example of how elections have consequences. And when they when they got the power to govern, they have you know the choice to make those inter-caucus rules. And it's just another example of why it's so important to have electoral reform and to, to actually show up and vote when that does happen to prevent situations like this from becoming more prominent.
0: Yeah, my thought on this is when I look at somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, to me, that's like the poster child for we need term limits because it's it's like, you know, if we had a completely legitimate electoral process that was really indicative of what the majority of people want, then we wouldn't need term limits then the vote is the term limit. And I completely get that. And in my ideal universe, that would be the case. But what we have is sort of like a chicken and an egg thing. And at this point, for me, I'm willing to throw whatever shit against the wall to get something to stick, to get some of these people out of there. Because even though there are lifelong great public servants like Bernie Sanders, for every Bernie Sanders, there's how many people that- Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell's. And so we have to think about right now, what would be the best way to change some things around. And that's why I like the idea of term limits. It isn't necessarily the, the the permanent solution. It really isn't. And I understand that there's debates as to what a term should be and all of that. But right now, there are way too many people like Diane Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi. And there's a, that tends to be the problem way more so than unfortunately uh, having to get rid of people that would be good lifelong public servants, which is like Bernie. That's
4: how I see it. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I I think that's a fair argument. It's certainly an argument that I think a lot of people are having across the country and everyone has their, this is always the the problem with Congress or with elected officials is like, everybody's like, Congress is terrible. Oh, but not, but not that guy that I like, you know? And so, so, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 is it Would it be a moderating force? I mean, there's counter arguments that it would also just encourage basically ladder climbing people to put in two terms in the house, then move up to the Senate and then try to move up to the president. I mean, there's no there's no perfect system. And even with like RCV and and primary reforms, like bad people are still gonna be elected to office. It's just the system that makes it the easiest to change direction. And in a democracy, that's the most important thing to protect is our ability to change direction, not to lock in a policy win, not to lock in a majority, but to go, hey, wait a minute, we goofed two years ago, let's do something different this time.
3: We've incentivized politicians to behave in all the wrong ways. Um, Whenever you, when what you have to do to hold on to office is maintain your base in an uncompetitive party primary, you are going to cater to that base no matter what. And that base might be as small as two or 3% of the entire electorate of a district. Uh, But they've got the power in these sort of low turnout August primaries with, you know, multiple candidates. And when you've got something like RCV, it's a really effective tool for voters. But it also changes the incentive system for politicians. If all of a sudden they have to be concerned about an entire district, if they have to be concerned about the entire party, if they have to actually listen and talk to everybody, this is the kind of change. Instead of simply being responsive and driven by the crazy uh, nuts of the base, they've got to l- listen to you know, absolutely everybody. Um, the problem to me is less that a Marjorie Taylor Green can hold office. It's a system that empowers everybody to behave like her. Um, and if you, you could change that incentive system, we could help fix our politics.
4: Well, and I'll pitch, I'll plug forward party right here too, because there's like what a four or five, five seat majority, I think that's holding that co- that together. And what the Freedom Caucus demonstrated is how five, 10 members of the House, two, three members of the Senate who are willing to be independent or to be identify something else can become coalition builders that can then drive a more broadly bipartisan coalition. And so like, that's really something that we, you know, we, we say at the forward party, we're not just trying to be the third party and then close the door behind us. We'd love to have five, six, seven functional parties in the United States where that kind of coalitional work would be more popular, more common. So that, you know, again, these like group of like 20, mostly extreme Republicans who are using that kind of fulcrum system to force extreme concessions and to get major seats on very important committees for very scary people would be less powerful because you'd be able to look to another group of people and try and build a coalition that's based on that by making some more modest and moderate concessions. So it really is a game changer if we can increase the number of parties uh, that are represented in state houses and in national legislature so that there's a not just not just an ability but a necessity to work together again rather than everybody just fighting for this 50 plus one get the gavel kind of power game.
3: It's the My difference between, It's the difference between being incentivized to work in coalition and work together or being incentivized to use your power as a break and a veto power to bring everything to a screeching halt?
0: I just think that what is the point of coalitions when they don't act together to do anything? And we don't see that, you know, you could say what you want about Matt Gates and the, what they just did, but they're doing something. Um, we had every single Democrat just line up and vote for Hakeem Jeffries without any sort of anything, nothing, not even a discussion as to maybe somebody else. I don't know. What do you think? We had more of a democracy in elementary school choosing class president. So, you know, the fact that, that we can't even have discussions and they're just threatened into doing stuff. This is the kind of stuff that people need to know as to what's going on there. But there is no, there is no point to having coalitions or blocks if they're not going to stand for anything. We have a progressive caucus that retracted a nicely worded letter requesting some diplomacy while giving somebody a ton of money. So, you know, we have no power and it's, you know, it's hard for me to think, okay, a handful of another party, you know, only if they're willing to fight, only if they're willing to put their necks out. That's the only way it matters.
1: And Mike, one of the reasons why a lot of people are attracted to the forward party is because people, you know, I say this all the time. It's like, if you're, if you're sick of Donald Trump, believe me, more people are sick of permanent Washington than they are of Donald Trump. And one of the appeals is to be able to have other options that they can go to, but the system will not course correct the determination to keep things as is. And you have to be willing, honestly, Uh, you have to be willing in some respects to be hated in Washington in order to really have the people behind you. There are ways to build coalitions, but like what Mickey is doing in Oklahoma, there's actual tangible benefit to having ranked choice voting, even if there are those who see it as a negative because it could potentially affect their ability to further their political career. But for those who are in it for the right reasons, they totally get it. And I think that there would be a lot more agreeable people on the Hill that would understand that about four to five people in the country today agree with universal health care. The same is true of a living wage, same is true of clean energy. I can't imagine anybody who lives in Oklahoma, who lives anywhere near a fracking well, wouldn't want to replace that with a solar field if they had the opportunity. There's a lot of different things that are of option that could be there if people were willing to actually fight for it. I'm not saying the Freedom Caucus is fighting overall for what we want. They are no, not fighting for what we want. Fighting. but they're fighting. That's they my
0: point. That's, that's my point is they're asking for something and we never see that on, on the left. We and, don't. They don't fight for anything. And I
1: don't know how closely you guys follow Jen, but she ran for Congress in 2020 against the absolute worst in all of Congress, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And so, of course, the powers that be did what they had to do To ensure that Debbie won re-election. We had the pandemic. We had a lot of things going against us, but we were still able to get just under 30% of the vote being outspent about five to one, having the entire uh, county party ghost us, get behind Debbie. We had the head of the AFL-CIO make sure that Jen couldn't even get a screening for an endorsement from the labor unions. You know, so there was a lot of things working against us. I can only imagine if we had fair and free elections, whether it is ranked choice voting, whether it is open primaries, whether it's even jungle primaries. If we had those kinds of options, maybe she doesn't win on the first try, but she gets a hell of a lot closer than 30 percent. And 30 percent is still pretty damn good for a first time run. But it's it goes without saying that in order to change this. It's going to take some real bold action and you can't be, you know, th- there's no tepidness when it comes to this. You have to be willing to, to take some slings and arrows. You just have to be. Uh, I, I would imagine that you guys have had your fair share of that in everything that you've been doing, whether it is fair vote, whether it is being a state representative of the ultimate minority party in a, in a one-party state.
4: Yeah, I think, I think the most evolved form of politics we could hope for would still be pretty ugly and dirty. Uh, it's just a reality of getting people together to work on governance. So, um, I I think it's, it is important that people fight for what they believe in, but these electoral reforms, uh, and, and more broadly speaking, the health and functioning of our democracy has to be central and core to that fight. Because if we lose that, if we lose our ability as citizens to govern ourselves, then Every other policy fight is out the window. It doesn't matter anymore. So, you know, it, it opening it up, getting more people involved, and getting and convincing people who who think they have no choice but these two parties that they actually have a lot of power to swing and change elections
2: in other ways, I think is critically important. I'm curious, where are you guys out? Where are you guys from?
4: I, I live in Alexandria, Virginia. Forward party is dispersed. Around the country, uh,
2: but but
4: I'm in Alexandria. Well I've been in DC for a while myself.
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm in I'm in western Massachusetts.
2: Oh wow. Okay. Both are pretty different than <laughs> Oklahoma culture
3: here. Both okay. pretty different places, right? Yeah. But you know, I mean, I mean, certainly ranked choice voting up here, you know, makes a big deal of 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 difference. Massachusetts is a lot like Oklahoma in in that it's 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 very much a one party state, right? Um, and there are Democrats in Oklahoma. there are Republicans and independents in Massachusetts. Uh, and if we were to use ranked choice voting, if we were to if we were to elect members of, 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 of Congress and state legislatures in a more proportional way that actually uh, represented people in the numbers that they exist in Oklahoma, in Massachusetts, We'd have, you know, a much different politics as you know, well.
2: One of the objections that I've gotten is that our tabulating machines are a bit outdated. We need to invest in in new machines. Um, in other states that have implemented ranked choice voting, like Nevada, like Maine, did they have to do an overhaul of their of their uh, ballot
3: machines? I think what they find these days is that the software that most states have is pretty sophisticated and able to handle. Just about all of these of these systems, uh, you know, oftentimes there's there's um, you know some kind of, of update that's necessary, but there are federal dollars available for that, um, so this kind of upgrade can be you know done you know reasonably easily and 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 quickly, uh, and oftentimes the federal government will even help you pay for it.
2: And then is it usually about the same turnaround time as plurality voting? Is in in other words, you usually get your results back at the end of the night. Even if it has to knock off, the, let's say the last two, like the last two least popular people,
3: you can tabulate these things instantly. Um, now, many places um, work differently. You've got you've got laws in Maine, for example, that require it to you know move a little slower, uh, simply by virtue of. Um, how they require uh votes to be tabulated and 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 transferred um it's it's a a wild process involving police officers in every county bringing (laughs) you know it's it's probably a make work program um but um you certainly can see um results immediately and in the places where you have not had a result immediately like in alaska for example, or in California, it doesn't have to do with ranked choice voting, slowing it down, but it has to do with how hard it is to, uh, you know, casting. I would, I, I would yeah. actually, I would
1: actually disagree, David. I actually think ranked choice voting did work in uh, Alaska. I, I think that there's a lot of, pe- you know, and again, we, we, have a, we have a full spectrum of people that support our show, that watch our show. We are very grateful for everybody who tunes in, but we have people who are, uh, you know, I guess what you would consider on the far right, who suggests that ranked choice voting is a scam and that's why Sarah Palin is not in Congress right now or that Lisa Murkowski, who is without question as moderate a Republican as you can hope to get these days. And she's
3: going back to the US Senate for six years. To me, ranked choice voting did work because. Well, I think asked. it absolutely worked. Excuse me, I, I certainly yeah. wasn't suggesting it didn't work. Yeah. I was simply saying that if there was a slowness in the results in Alaska, that it didn't have to do with ranked choice voting slowing it down. It was more getting the ballots uh, transported. But I think you're absolutely right uh, in that um, you know, Sarah Palin's problem in the state of Alaska was not that she lost because of ranked choice voting. Her problem was she had negatives of 60% or higher in every <laughs> Deeply <day>. unbombed. <laughs> really hard to overcome. In fact, the only way you can overcome that is if you think you can win a three-person race with 40% of the vote. Uh, and so ranked choice voting meant that the person who had the deepest and the widest support actually won, not somebody um, who had a 60% percent on popularity rating so it worked exactly as it should work yeah i david, would have ranked is- the
0: moose over her
3: i would have <laughs> ranked the
0: moose like honestly like can you could that sir, she is she would be the bottom of the list i can't there would i, I can't think of who
5: i would pick. she's really great i think she's incredible she totally <laughs> should be in uh, I, I, I did think,
4: like, david to your point and, I, and I'm, I'm curious also, also mickey's Perspective on this, the, probably the number one thing that you hear people say, and they'll point at Alaska and say, Look how long it took. And you're right, it was really about, you know, like literally prop planes flying ballots from rural Alaska to be counted. But uh, but they'll, they'll point to that delay. They'll point to, I think there was a, like an Oakland school board seat that like they made a mistake tabulating that they have since corrected. They'll point to things like that. And then they'll say, oh, it's so confusing. People can't follow it. We don't know if we can trust it. Um, Even though it is actually quite simple. We rank things in our life every day. We understand how this works. It's (laughs) really not that hard. But I wonder, you know, Mickey, in your perspective and talking to people, you know, that's something that probably opponents to your legislation say publicly. But when you talk to people privately, do they raise the same kind of objections that it's confusing or or is that just something that that they're blowing smoke?
2: Yeah, Mike, you know, my colleagues in the House and Senate, they haven't come out um, opposed to it by any means. Um, those who have talked to me about it have been for it. I've got the the um, the pushback, the objection of it taking a long time from just people on Twitter that were coming in and chatting with their opinion. When I announced that I was filing a House joint resolution to send – To the vote of the people, the option to have ranked choice voting, one of the top concerns was it takes too long. And many people uh, equate that to voter fraud, of course, in this day and age. And so I I, I did hear a 1A episode about it on NPR. And um, the person who was, uh, I I would say, debating against ranked choice voting was talking about how there's – you know, the fact that I think some tabulating machines have to, little computer chips that they have to cart around and bring to the county election board or, or something. But, you know, Oklahoma is actually one of the most secure states for voting. And we're extremely efficient. We have Paul Xerox um, here running our elections. <clears throat> I have no doubt that he would be able to fully implement ranked choice voting. And if that means to getting having to use a federal funding, you know, federal grant to update our tabulating machines. We could definitely do that.
3: Voters understand it, voters like it. When it was used in New York City for, for the first time in 2021, they had polls afterwards, 95% of voters said, "I totally get this. This is really really easy. This is simple to do." Um, we rank things all the time um and uh so I don't think that's a problem for people to do uh you know certainly a lot of our elections are taking more time to uh, cast ballots uh you know and count them all up uh but i think that probably ha- could be said about a mail-in voting it could be said about early voting oftentimes state legislatures are the ones who are making this so difficult because they've got a uh, laws passed saying you can't count mail-in votes until the day of an election uh that is what backs up the system that is what um you know, many folks in in, in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and, and uh, Michigan and some of those states that had uh, slowness in results in, in 2020 w- w- were counting on. They knew that they could release that pressure valve and actually count those votes early. They did not because they wanted to be able to sow that kind of doubt in voters' minds after the fact. Um, it's a bad faith argument. I think you're right. And I think it's used
1: on both sides. And unfortunately, it's a political gamesmanship tool uh, that we see all too often. And the truth is we we need each other. And one thing that I'm sure Mickey, you've probably seen quite a bit of, you know, when we get when we get dragged down into the culture war stuff and issues where, you know, abortion, LGBTQ, Second Amendment, when that becomes the main topic of discussion which is a wedge issue in the political arena, where it's designed to only divide and conquer because many people will always be set in their ways regarding those particular beliefs, you're never gonna get anywhere of productivity. But if the focus is we need more electoral choice, we need to remove the for-profit middlemen between us and our doctors, we need to be able to pay a living wage so we don't have to rely on government assistance, we need to have a say in terms of how energy extraction is done in the United States and, frankly, how our foreign policy is conducted. I think those are the key issues of our day, and they bring as many people together as possible. And as as, so, as long as it isn't about red versus blue, you know, conservative versus liberal, any of that stuff, most people agree. And that's why I think most people agree on ranked choice voting. And last thought before we wind down, um, the one other electoral reform that is out there, it's only in three states, Louisiana, California, and Washington is jungle primaries. What do you guys think of that electoral option? Does that in any way improve over a first-past-the-post system that we have in most states?
2: I can jump in here. Um, you know, in a, in a red state like Oklahoma, jungle primaries, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, from what I've heard when I've floated this out to, for example, caucus members or constituents, is that it creates, in, in a, you know, blood red, ruby red state like Oklahoma, uh, you may end up with, you know, two Republicans on the ticket. So um, in my opinion, I'd rather see ranked choice voting or um, instead of jungle primaries. I have heard that some of my Republican colleagues like that idea, but it may be more uh, competitive, or it could. It may be more politically advantageous for them to have that, but not maybe so much for other parties trying to get in on the, you know, in and on the competition or remain competitive in, within the election.
1: I I think that's definitely true in one party dominated states. A state like you know your neighbors to the south, you know, Texas might have a little bit more. Uh, competitiveness regarding a jungle primary situation, uh, but a state like Oklahoma, state like Arkansas, state like Louisiana, obviously, or well, Louisiana has it, but yes, generally speaking, it ends up being the top two in the one party and the same is true in California exactly. and Washington. So yes, it's a very good point. Um, and I'm guessing you guys would probably feel the same way.
4: Yeah. I think you see, uh, you know, even in California, I was recently at a conference discussing these kinds of issues um, with uh, the the architect of the California jungle primary system. And even he is now has come along to the position of it's not working. We need ranked choice voting. But the important thing is that that actually the, the best, in my opinion, reform possible is to institute a open nonpartisan primary, which is essentially a jungle primary, but rather than taking the top two out of that, take the top five candidates or four candidates, some people do four, and move them to a general election, which is then determined by rank choice voting. So that eliminates the problem of facing like one you know two two people of the same party against each other in that jungle primary um you know one, one of my things i always thought was funny was Kamala Harris in some ways is vice president right now because when she ran for senate she ran against another democrat who in her closing arguments of their one senatorial debate dabbed on stage right like that's the quality of competition that that jungle primary got And, you know you may like Kamala Harris or not but but that like there's like this track of like she had a pretty easy time getting into a general and then facing a, a candidate who was subpar because of the way that system played out. Whereas if you have four or five, then you have probably a Republican, you have maybe a libertarian or a green party candidate in there, forward party one day soon in there, and they can all compete under a ranked choice voting system. And that that package of reform um, of of that kind of open or jungle primary with more than two people coming out being decided by ranked choice voting gets you really the best of both worlds in that case.
3: I am not going to dab. Um, uh, <laughs> but um, I, I can certainly see the appeal of these packages uh, of <clears throat> in statewide races uh, where I think they fall short is in state legislative and congressional races where these districts have already been drawn and gerrymandered in such a way as to um make them uncompetitive for one party or another uh it simply doesn't work to have an open primary uh or you know a final 5 system in a district that has already been drawn to be blood red or or bright blue, you're not actually fixing the uh, problem there. Uh, I think if we want to actually fix that problem, what we have to do is think about a more proportional Congress, more proportional state legislatures, um, and to be thinking about something like the Fair Representation Act, which uh, Don Beyer of Virginia, Jamie Raskin of Maryland, and uh, a Rocana from California have sponsored that would combine larger multi-member districts, um, districts of three, four, and five, um, um, a uh, same number of, of folks from each state. So, um, you know, I'm in Massachusetts, we have nine, we still have nine, we simply have three districts of three, or a district of four and a district of five, and then you go ahead and use ranked choice voting. Uh, there's a lot of structural fixes we can do. You know, I mean, we can be thinking about uh, states as laboratories of democracy, or we can be thinking about them as they so often are now you know, meth labs of uh, democracy that are actually making it worse. Um, and we can uh, find the structural fixes we need to work our way out of this moment. Couldn't have ended on a better note. Uh, gentlemen, whoever wants to go first,
1: please uh, plug whatever you're working on, how people can find your work, uh, support your efforts. Obviously, ranked choice voting is an immensely important issue that we 100% support and we're hoping that this will, without question, catch fire as we go forward, because it is a nonpartisan issue that overwhelmingly people agree upon. Mickey, lead us off.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you all so much for having me on the show. Thank you to the contributors for your uh, awesome opinions. I've I've actually learned a lot tonight as well. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, my Facebook page. It's all Mickey Dollins, like the drummer from the Monkees. It's M-I-C-K-E-Y. D-O-L-L-E-N-S. And I'm working on several ballot initiatives through the state house. And then also education funding is really big for me. And um, I have two young children who will be in the public schools within the next couple okay. of Okay. So you find me on Twitter. It's M-I-C-K-E-Y-D-O-L-L-E-N-S. There you go. It just popped up. And uh, I really appreciate you letting me voice my opinion on here.
4: No, absolutely. Mike. Yeah, well, hey, short and simple, forwardparty.com. You can learn more about it. We're organizing across the country. We're building up chapters. We've got uh, party recognition already just in the last couple of months in the number of states, including Florida, uh, Nevada. Um, South Carolina, we've got an RCV event coming up uh, just this next weekend uh, where we'll be, uh, Andrew Yang will be in town and our state lead there will be working with coalitions like Fair Vote on uh, RCV. Uh, Broadly beyond electoral reform, which is an integral part of our platform, what we're really focused on is trying to change politics by putting solutions first and recruiting people to run for office and to vote for candidates who, even if they're not a part of our party, but preferably if they're within our party, uh, are putting solutions first and are going to work to represent their communities better rather than trying to put partisan self-interest first. So less of the hyper-partisanship and more of the problem solving. That's what we're all about. Thank you for having us. This has been a great conversation. Absolutely. I
0: feel solidarity with the Forward Party. I mean, I'm not a member of the Forward Party. I live in Broward County. That's not happening for me anytime soon. (laughs) I have to be a member of the Democratic Party, but I will always feel solidarity with the Forward Party like I do with the Yang Yang, because it's just, you know, in what we do, there are very few people that are responsive and loyal. And Andrew is one of those people. And so I will always, and and I just know his head screwed on straight. I will say, of
1: all the coalitions that helped Jen when she ran for Congress in 20, there was no group that was more diligent, hardworking, and effective in helping us increase our reach and our numbers than the Yang Gang. They really made a difference. Can't say enough. Because they're
0: solution-oriented. And this is why I will always affiliate with people that are reasonable and solution-oriented.
3: Yeah. absolutely, David? Bring us home. All right. Uh, you can find us at uh, fairvote.org. You can find us on uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever it is you get your social media. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Dave Daly, the number three, Dave Daly three. Uh, I've got two books, um, one on partisan gerrymandering called Rat Effed: Why Your Vote Doesn't Count. Uh, and another one called Unrigged, How Americans Are Battling Back to Save Democracy, which uh, embeds with a number of the uh, pro-democracy uh, Citizen led movements around the country that have won such amazing reform. Uh, uh, some in Florida, Alabama, Idaho, Utah, North Dakota, Maine. Um, uh, citizens coming together to uh, win electoral reform, uh, showing that there really is a playbook for getting this done. David, I'm not letting you go until you pull that
1: book off the shelf. You got to let people Which see
0: book? it. Which book? <laughs> Which book?
1: Rat rat rat-effed. Oh, There's There's rat. Yes,
0: rat. Okay. there we go. Well, and David, we are more than happy to help in any way we can yeah. down here in Florida, you know, in, in whatever capacity we can, because it's really important.
3: It's most certainly is, uh, especially in the state. I like Florida. Mickey <laughs> I've, got whole, I've got a whole chapter on you all in here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure.
1: Listen, every state gets its reputation, but Florida really earns its reputation. <laughs> Mickey Dollins, David Daly, Mike Ogsned. thank you so much for Thanks, all, all of you coming on this evening. It was a great conversation. Keep in touch. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Good it. Night. Thank night you. Night. All right. I'm going to deal with you now, Keith. Wait
0: a second, but can I just say before you go off on a rant, because he's about to go off on a rant with the guys in the chat. So here's the thing. I am basically a free speech absolutist, but what you are doing is the equivalent of like, there's people in a room having like, we're in the middle of a conversation. Uh, uh. Exactly. It's like the kid who keeps coming, Bobby, 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 in the middle of a freaking conversation. So it isn't that I'm avoiding anything. First of all, I really don't even know what you're talking about. I'm not stifling you, but stop spamming in the comments. it's like, you're very frustrating like that. We're not avoiding anything. <laughs> okay. Now this is, Keith, this I'm is my, all his
5: own. Keith, I'm warning
1: you right now. You make another comment like that about Katie Hobbs, who I cannot stand, who I do not think was on the level in Arizona. There, you heard it from me. Uh, do not make comments like that. You understand?
0: Yeah, just don't be rude. We're not—we're not avoiding the conversation of anything. I'm not. I—I'll be happy to talk to you. I don't really know. I haven't really been following that. We did
1: mention Alaska, and we agree with ranked choice voting, monopoly, and that's that. Now, as far as you, Keefe, are concerned, in your conspiracies <laughs> about Arizona, let me explain something to you. George Kemp—is uh, it no? It's Matt Kemp. It Matt Kemp, Matt, governor of uh, uh, Georgia. Yeah, it's Matt Kemp. Okay. So the governor of uh, Georgia, Matt Kemp, was the secretary of state in 2018 when he ran against Stacey Abrams and he did everything in his capacity to rig that election by throwing hundreds of thousands of people in voting districts that go blue off the voting rolls.
0: That's a problem. That's a big problem. Well, I don't think that you should be able to be overseeing your own election. That's and just, being that's the Secretary crazy. of State. That's what I'm saying. He was overseeing and the his own election. the same
1: rule the for Katie the who is of the Governor of the Oh, and by the way, was also the Secretary of state the person who oversees the election. She the no business being the Secretary of state She should have been forced to step down. She wasn't. And now, whether or not you're getting a timeout, that's that. Uh,
0: Whether or not
1: there was impropriety in the election, the image of impropriety is clearly there. And that's why you've got a Looney Tune, yes, Looney Tune, like Carrie Lake, who is getting immense (laughs) amount of juice politically who is going to run for the U.S. Senate, I'm telling you right now, she's going to be the next senator from Arizona.
0: But are we very clear that there's not, like, any sort of, like, speech suppression happening here? I'll let you guys talk about whatever you want in there. Just please don't be rude and interrupting when we're having guests. I'm not avoiding talking about anything. I don't know one way or the other.
1: I agree. And this is the thing, TM, That and this is why people hate liberals, because it's always rules for thee, not for me. If Donald Trump does what he does with classified documents, I don't care if it's worse.
0: We didn't block him. We just put him in timeout. Then
1: Biden. Biden still misused classified documents, which he'd never have had his hands <laughs> on anyway, because he wasn't the president at the time. You have to call a spade a spade. And people like th- you got people coming out saying, you think it's a conspiracy? You didn't you block they- him, right? No. Okay. He's just in
0: timeout, thought- time Metalopoly. He gets yeah. a five minute timeout. Okay. Give us a break.
1: Metopoly, you're next. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we well, don't, you know, honestly, there are very, very few people. Like, you have to be very, being very, very rude and offensive to me because this is not a public forum. It Love really isn't. It's product. our
1: podcast. No, it is a public forum. We want people to communicate. Yes, but, but we're not going to You know, don't start. <laughs>
0: There's no need to be Welcome, mean.
1: Welcome, Allison. Thank you for your support. There's just no need no, to be mean. Don't, no, there is no point to that. Like you're not going to get anywhere. And if you start messing with people in the chat and you start saying inappropriate stuff, and we have a lot of women that are in our chat. So if you start talking like that, dude, you're getting your ass kicked out of here. That's just how it is, man. That's
0: not anti your your right to speak. It's just, we just don't want rude nonsense going on. Don't try it, man. And I don't like it when people say rude things about guests. If you have something constructive to say, you want to debate an issue, all of that is good. But stop screaming like a petulant child in the chat.
1: So there you go. You have your answer about Arizona. It didn't look like it was on the level. Whether it was or not, I can't say. But the fact that the person who's now the governor was the secretary of state when the election was going on,
5: it's wrong.
0: But more importantly, why were you trying to interrupt a conversation about ranked choice voting and that? See, this is the problem. It's not like we're avoiding an issue. You're bringing up something that has nothing to do what we were talking about.
1: But Carrie Lake, <laughs> but Carrie Lake is very likely going to be the next senator from the state of Arizona. And One of the reasons that that is going to be the case is because the queen herself, who just couldn't help herself.
0: uh, She looks like Debbie there. (laughs) With boobs. Uh,
1: Where's the big? Yeah. okay. so here's a nice picture
0: of her. I don't know why we're wanting to put on pictures of Kirsten. So here's the thing. They get what they reap what they sow in Arizona as far as I'm concerned. You know what I mean, but to me, is do I think it matters who that? If you have somebody like Kirsten Cinema and you think that losing her to anybody is a loss, then I just don't see it.
1: So here's Kirsten Cinema at Davos, and we'll get into that in a minute. Oh, uh,
0: it was that time of year. So she had
1: to wear her. If you guys can't tell that Kirsten Cinema is just trolling people at this point, that her whole existence is to.
0: Does she have an animal around it, her neck? Yeah, she's wearing a fur coat. Is it? But it's fur. She's just wearing real fur? Yeah, something Are I you mean, sure it's I not can't faux? Say I'm,
1: I can't say well, I'm Well, then don't put that sir? out
0: there. You don't know. And don't put that out there. And don't make I, an issue where there isn't one.
1: Well, she's definitely wearing an embarrassingly <laughs> ridiculous outfit. And, of course, she's flanked by two people that I, I guess are just right with her politically. Paul Ryan and Anthony Mooch Scaramucci. Paul so, Ryan
0: looks kind of good,
1: though. Yeah, he's, tall, right. Paul, he's a tall guy. Yeah,
0: he looks kind of good.
1: He's about 6'2". Well, he was a P90X guy. He was one of the first guys that I, I actually mean, I mean, I, and, and I, I also found
0: out. him, I remember feeling like he was very closeted to me. But anyway. Don't make
1: assumptions, Jen.
0: I don't know. I said, no, I said it felt very, it felt very that to me. Well,
1: that, that is. With him
0: in particular. Okay. But anyway. So Kirsten Cinema.
1: Kirsten Cinema was at the World Economic Forum. And she just has a boatload of wonderful things to say. And our good friends at More Perfect Union, of course, are able to capture this nonsense. So I I think- I
0: just with her.
1: No, she's just,
0: again- She's a farce, she's a farce.
1: Yeah, no, at this point, you can't really say one way or the other, like what her motivation is, because I don't trust any of the things that she does. Uh, I think everything that she does in many ways is for, you know, for show. Yeah. Uh, You know, she. Well,
0: the truth is, she just likes being the center of attention. Yes, absolutely. She's just totally about grandstanding, which is why I think even just the concept of okay, so now that the Democrats have a majority in the Senate, I'm going to be the one to screw with that, and I'm going to run as an independent. Like she just likes to be. Sort of in the public eye, but she it's like going
1: it. to. But it's like going to Davos on the one hand, and then the next thing you know, she's dressed in this ridiculous outfit. Well, why would you
0: not be if you're at Davos? If I were at Davos, I'd be wearing a ridiculous outfit too. I'd probably be wearing like a meat suit, like Lady Gaga at the at the Oscars. I'd walk around in like a meat dress. If oh, I remember?
1: Like, remember, uh, it was like twenty years ago when Bjork. Remember yeah, her well, with yes, the yes, except for that
0: was except for that was not real.
1: No, I didn't say it was real swan. Okay, it was just just silly looking,
0: but it wasn't a real swan. Yes,
1: without question, it was obviously done for shits and giggles, 100%.
0: No, but honestly, like to me, if you're being in a place like Davos, your being there is already so absurd to me and really speaks volumes as to who you are, that quite honestly, the fact that you would be like splitting hairs as to what, what her ridiculous ensemble is when we're sitting here talking about basically the annual meeting of the oligarchs, and we're we're having a discussion like, oh, well, that's normal, but this, this what she's wearing is, what, the is issue. The, what
1: is the point of voting with the Dems 93% of the time when almost the majority of the legislation isn't good anyway? Everyone makes a say you know, it's it's like with Biden. It's like they come up with this list of all the things that he has done since he's been president. Yeah, he did the CHIPS Act, which is not terrible, but the reason why that bill ended up being good the reason why that bill ended up being good anyway is because john stewart was able to get the burn pits uh, amendment into the legislation and that got through that was very important but you know let biden take credit for because you know that's what they <clears> do uh <throat> never got uh the uh what was the union uh the labor bill i'm slipping right now the one that was proact uh, you Pro get the proact and he could have gotten that um, in the first hundred days he, he
0: just fucked labor yeah so, and, and there's people that are like saying, oh, how great Joe avoided the railroad strike. Yeah, by fucking them. That's what he did.
1: <laughs> and so you really have to wonder now with the, oh. with the document, with the classified documents uh, leak that's coming out now about Biden, you really have to wonder if a lot of that is being done for political gamesmanship. And I happen to think that it is. Of
0: course it is. And here's the thing. So, like in, in the bizarre universe in which we live, now we're going to see. Biden get impeached with all, this is going to lead to him getting impeached. And here's my prediction, guys. We could potentially, and think about the world in which we live, that potentially in 24, two formerly impeached presidents could be running against each other to be president again. That's the world in which we could be living, like very easily. Like that's not even a a far-fetched concept.
5: They totally impeached me because I didn't do anything wrong. No, I was a really great person. twice. Sleepy Joe is in big trouble. Believe me when I tell you. And I'm only on here. I don't want to know you're a terrible person. The reason I'm on here is because I wanted to let everybody know I'm coming back and I'm going to present a wonderful, incredible tweet. My first tweet back on Twitter. It's going to be really great. That's illegal. I could throw you in jail. Wait till I'm president again. You're in big trouble, lady. But listen. I haven't thought of what the tweet's going to be, so I'm open to ideas. If you have any, love to hear them. Really want to do this right. Want to make it sound really great. I'm thinking my first tweet, when I come back to Twitter, has to be, make America great again. Again. That's got to be the tweet. It has to be. Oh, God. Go away. That's the coalition we're building here. Oh, my God. And it's really great. What should my first tweet be, Jen? Tell Tell the wonderful people what the first tweet should be.
0: I'm back.
5: I'm totally back. <laughs> you can't just say back. You got to say, I'm back, bigly. You're I'm totally bigly back. I'm totally back. I'm big. No, totally back. Believe me, I'm back Ugh. for good. You well, know, look, like, they're
0: going to impeach Joe, so you guys can, uh, can be comparing impeachment stories. I had
5: really great conversations with Arnold, the man Schwarzenegger, and he always said, I'll be back. Well, I will be back and back in a big way. So be uh, prepared. It's uh, going to be great. Just pay attention. You never know. It might happen in the middle of the night. It's like Santa giving. Actually, you, a you know who would president. be a
0: really good pick for you as a running mate this time, quite honestly? Oh, I'm listening. I think you should ask somebody like Kirsten Cinema. Think about that for a second. She's
5: totally my type, so I, I think I might ask her. And she's really still—I know, actually—that would, would be that would be really real interesting. Pro- but that could be very interesting because I have two ladies she's from Arizona. She's independent now, you know. I love independent women. I know they're really great. That's what I'm
0: saying. She's now independent. She's but free. Prob-
5: but the problem is, is that we'll have two women in Arizona fighting over me, oh. Mary Lake and Kristen. Well, Spinelli. and
0: maybe, and maybe what we do is we make a primetime show about it, and we have it be sort of like you know sort of like with apprentice. this rose
5: i present you the vice presidential nomination no it you're would... gonna have to compete for my love that's
0: what i'm saying We're getting... and i am
5: a hard person to convince
0: yeah you'll put him in like a mud pit
5: oh no that sounds really great and i really can't decide who would win that fight although my money would probably be on gary she seems like a very vicious person kirsten a little soft but she wears nice clothes She's really elegant, really great. I can't decide. It's a hard decision, Jay.
0: Exactly. How would you do it? I, I, I say, think, you know what? What about arm what wrestling? Need, arm no, wrestling. I
5: think I have a better idea. What? We need rank choice voting. It's a great idea.
0: You support rank choice voting? I totally
5: support rank choice voting because I'll be number one. So people in Arizona, people who would you rank first
0: as to those Nimrods? I don't know.
5: I can't decide. Flip a coin. I'll make the decision that way. It'll be great. I know Really that, great. Yeah.
0: I, I would probably write in like, I don't know, Yosemite Sam or- something
5: i'm totally better than yosemite sam i'm totally better than all of you and believe me we're coming back we're making america great again again i'll see you later goodbye oh my god so there you go it's been a while since i had done that you feel
1: good
0: about yourself now i (laughs) I feel like i need a shower
1: uh which where's the cinema would date peter oh yeah that's nice (laughs) i don't know i would (laughs) <laughs> not really. I wouldn't hit a woman. But I would get a, another woman to hit her.
0: <laughs> You're evil. About what? About Kirsten? I'm evil? i not evil. She's kind of evil. She's extremely self-serving. Yes, of course. You know, I, I just, I have very little respect for people that run for a public service and then seem to just serve themselves. So, well, it's um, not my bag.
1: No, it's definitely inspired a lot of people. And of course, Uh, The point, though, is that obviously (coughs) Davos, the World Economic Forum, is about the ultra elite of this world maintaining their power and money at the subjugation of the workers of
0: the world. I thought I said it really well. It's the annual oligarch meeting. That's what it is. Yes, I know. I actually know somebody and grew up with somebody who attends. But did you know that I was one of the panelists at Davos? And if you don't know, it's Brian Stelter. Brian, find
5: because I'm a I'm a
0: smart guy. Is it it's a little crazy to me that I actually grew up with someone who goes to that uh-huh. Well,
1: Mr. Stelter was on one of the panels specifically uh, complaining about disinformation and how we have to stop it. he's a he's a sick little boy.
0: Oh, he's a good sick little God.
1: Boy. But if you are so inclined and you like our content and appreciate what we're doing, despite our technical difficulties for the first half of the show, oh. and it took an actual reboot of the system to fix it.
0: And I, I had done it twice before. Weekend. I did do it. Tw- I, You know what?
1: It is what it is. Please help us raise money so we can improve our technical support system here. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash generational change. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a super supporter of our show. But if you're feeling a little bit more generous and you're thinking about 2024, <coughs> mansion cinema, imagine uh, that's a that's a Freudian slip. Imagine Parliamentarian uh, 2024 and the Lulu bumper sticker. You know you want them. You know you love them. You definitely want to support. That would be wonderful. But if you are feeling super generous, $25 a month Patreon. That's <clears> you. The, a the
0: generational change jersey. Try
1: blend super soft as it's cotton so, so it's silk it's, can possibly
0: be. And if you are,
1: and if you are wanting to promote your local small business for fifty dollars a month, we will plug your small business every show. We are looking to hopefully get a. I want taco a taco truck. truck. <laughs> Think of a taco truck in the Broward <laughs> County area that we can help.
0: I want it, and, and honestly, I do want to maybe talk to the Garden Divas. I T- yeah, do like and, the Garden Divas.
1: Yes, the Garden Divas are good people. So, but but if you do not want to put up your credit card. But are inclined to want to support our efforts, and you would be willing to go over to Cash App, pitch in a few bucks there. That would be much appreciated. It is dollar sign Gen Change. Yeah. So you can do that, and it would be really yeah. Really it's great. it's the
0: kind of things like um, paying for streaming services, paying for storage of podcast services. It's stuff like that. Somebody who does our video clips. You know, we don't take a salary because there's really not there's not enough money to take a salary. But it's really just to keep it going and have things like lights and just, you know, make it as good as we can for our little show.
1: That is so refreshing to hear, TM. Tickets for
0: Davos were $60,000. Again, it's the annual meeting of the oligarchs. It is. The fact that that exists to me. Is a You're sign just laughing at us. Now. Well, it's it's really it's a sign of the decline of civilization and the implosion of capitalism. <laughs> it is like the, the fact that that even exists as a thing, is so absurd to me that I I just and and that people sort of aspire to Love be you, girl. that.
1: You're awesome.
0: Thanks, and for anybody man. that makes i mean that people aspire to be that people want to be in the, the Davos club very badly like they want to be part of that club well that's
1: like the whole appeal of somebody like trump and a lot of people who see a, a success even in excess is something that you want to aspire to now not everybody thinks like that but there are a lot of people who see the wealth and the power the women those types of things are very intoxicating to certain people and yes they are willing to go to great lengths to get them There are people who may not have even a pot to piss in, but if they can afford the $60,000 ticket to get to Davos to rub elbows with some of these people, and in their mind, maybe make a great connection, maybe go to Davos and just walk around with a camera uh, getting, you know, pictures with these people and be like, hey, you see how I roll? I roll with the big shots. You
0: know? I don't know that they just let people in, though. Even if you came up with it and crowdfunded it to get your 60 grand together to get a ticket to Davos, they're not just letting in any of the riff raff. No, I, I assure you, it agree. is an invitation situation. It is an invitation situation.
1: Very funny, TM. No, I will say this. Kristen Cinema. yes, she is a, she's an attractive woman. I don't even think so at think all.
0: So. But- he and I never agree. Well, I that. like,
1: well, she's athletic. I like athletic.
0: She's not athletic to me. She's like, I don't know. She, well, she To me, she looks like soft.
1: Well, like she used to, no, she used to be very overweight, like very Okay, overweight.
0: well, to me, and she- And then she
1: started like really working out and stuff. And you know, great credit to her. I, but she my, does not
0: strike me as athletic. But that is not what I would My say. point
1: is she could use her position for the greater good, but very few if ever do. That's why I love Bernie as much as I do. He could easily have chosen a path. And listen, I still don't think Bernie goes far enough. But I know that Bernie's heart is oh, in the right Bernie. place. And I know that he is not a sellout. Bernie didn't get a third house. Oh my as God, a lot I love the like house to use house one. It's
0: so stupid.
1: <sighs> but most people that get this power, you know, they don't know how to say no. And one of the things that we didn't get to talk about with the panel this evening is whether or not the squad... Fumbled a great opportunity in 2020 against Pelosi, and they did. And so, you think for one second that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and Chip Roy that they don't know what they're doing? Of course, they know what they're doing. And when they see an opportunity that is blown, especially by the Democrats, if you think for one second that they're not going to look for a way to not only take advantage <clears throat> of that but stick it in their eye at the same time, how could you not how, though?
0: But there are so many unforced errors that that's where I started to believe, You know, it's just, they just don't care, it's intentional. It's intentional, they don't care. I still don't understand the point of having a congressional progressive caucus when they don't do anything as a group. They don't do anything. If the entire progressive caucus, which includes people like Chantel Brown, which is ludicrous. Well. Okay, so like, but like imagine if that group actually took a stand it would have to work every time. There's more than a hundred of them. There's no way, like if our progressive caucus actually meant anything, they would own Congress. That many people standing together in a block, they would own, there would be, what else would, I mean, I just, it's very disappointing. Why even have a caucus? I'm asking seriously, if somebody would tell me, I don't understand the point of it.
1: I mean, look, we'll listen to the interview that uh, Ro Khanna just gave on David Sirota's podcast but I'm sure a lot of it is just going to be a lot of the same old, same old. It's not going to really.
0: Oh, I want to go on David you know, be, Tarota's podcast.
1: Right, Reach out and ask him. Uh, uh, I do agree that Akim Jeffries is being groomed. And again, he's being groomed because. He
0: was picked.
1: You need to, you need to sell the empire. You need to sell the neoliberal globalist empire. He brings he in money. Sell. He brings in a lot of money.
0: That's why he's
1: picked. Now, what does it say about the Democratic Party as it stands today when the two leaders of their party are in Manhattan? That's a really well, New York City. Excuse me. Hakeem also represents Brooklyn. So let's be All right. Technical well, whatever.
0: So, but we're talking very the East Coast two, people.
1: The two leaders in the House and the Senate are in New York City. How does that represent the United States in the Republican Party? You have a representative in Kentucky who leads the party in the Senate and a representative in California who leads the party in the House. And California is a blue state. I mean, talk about diversification in your portfolio that the GOP does <laughs> that the Democrats don't do. But I still think it gets back to this idea that the populist left uprising is being thwarted at every single turn. That is the mission of the Democratic Party. That is the mission of Hakeem Jeffries. I was going to say
0: not thwarted by the right. No. We're not thwarted by the right. I, you know what? And I think I, I'm sitting here and I'm realizing the reason that I think I get along with the right is I've gone over around the left. Now your
1: horseshoe theory. I, it
0: is my horseshoe theory. Like I've gone far to the left that like I come around. So I almost sort of, meet the, I don't know what it is, but somehow I feel more aligned When I'm seeing people like Matt Gates and they're making sense to me, I feel like I'm living in a bizarre world. And I did watch him on Tim Pool and he was speaking truth. And I think, the I reason- mean, I, and again, not a fan, I, but he, look what they were able to do and how many were in their group. How many were in their group? 20. Like how many people are in that? What is it? The freedom, freedom caucus? caucus? I mean, it's nothing compared to the size of the quote unquote progressive caucus. But if
1: the progressive caucus actually had a real, and again, you need the populist left of the progressive caucus faction. you need, this is one of the reasons why, I mean, again, no guarantees, but if Nina Turner was on the Hill right now, maybe she would be rallying Rokana, Raul Guevara, Chuy Garcia, Danya Ramirez, Summer Lee, Cori Bush, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, I Ilhan Omar. That I'm not through with names. Katie Porter, Barbara Lee.
0: There are people. But the point is, is that nobody is really willing to be the person to really put their neck out. And that's the problem. That is the problem. Because they believe, I mean, I do think that people-
1: Well, a lot of liberals believe in institutionalization. They believe in that concept.
0: Well, yeah, they, yeah, they like, the, yeah. Well, this is the, this is a problem. This is why we're stuck where we're stuck.
1: Alex makes a, makes, a, makes an Instagram video basically decrying what Matt Gates did by saying that the reason why the left didn't do it is because it would cause relational damage within the caucus. I mean-
0: Oh, we're so, the fact, see, now that's infuriating to me. I, that is infuriating. Why are to you?
1: Me. Why Why are you there? To like, be friends? Why are I you got? there?
0: Like it's not. It's not a, a social club. <laughs> it's It's not meant to be like. like how a, many people a do you think you need to get
1: in there down the road oh that God. you think is going to be able to do that? You know, if there was a real faction that was able to corral a number of the representatives, even somebody like, you know, even if it, even Sheila Shelfless McCormick, oh, even,
0: that'd be
1: great. you know, Maxwell Frost, even uh, Jasmine <clears> Crockett, <throat> uh, even obviously Greg Kazar, who's to say that if you're not like organizing a group, I, I just named almost 20 people who supposedly have progressive chops. And as far as I can tell,
0: Right. The progressives that the people that you would say would even qualify remotely as progressive in the progressive caucus.
1: If you can't coalesce that group together to basically say we're not voting for you. Yeah. Unless we get Medicare for all, unless we get Green New Deal, unless we get ending endless wars, unless we get. Cannabis legalization, decriminalization of all drugs—like yeah. there are things that you could do. Ranked choice voting is silly as that one would seem.
0: There's a lot of things they could do, but the fact is that they ask for nothing, and they all just fell in line. The only
1: argument they get right now that can maybe let them slide for the next year is the fact that they are the minority party.
0: Well, and I'll tell you what, what I what I what I think really is why they got. It. I think a lot of this has to do with APAC. That's what I think.
1: I think AIPAC does play a role. And I think, I think a lot of them are afraid.
0: They're very afraid of APAC, And Hakeem Jeffries is very connected with AIPAC. And I think they were probably all threatened with campaigns against them, primary challenges, loss of money for their district, loss of everything. But it's ironic that even with a party that's in the minority, that they still don't feel capable of standing up to that. Most of them aren't going to have committee assignments anyway. Like, what are they, what are they going to get now that they're in the minority party? Like it's, at what point do you take a stand? you You don't take it when you're in the majority and you don't take it when you're in the minority. And there's always a reason relationship issues. You know what, this isn't therapy, Alex. You're not in group therapy. Don't worry about the relations. If you're
1: watching our live stream and you haven't hit the like button, please smash it right now. We want this to get out to as many people as possible. It would be very appreciative of us. We want as many people to see this live stream as we are about to go off the air. It would obviously be a huge help to us. Uh, This is a very important topic. It'll be very interesting to see how it actually looks now that I'm gonna be going behind the scenes to cut up some clips. Uh, But you guys have obviously been great. Uh, And we listen, we appreciate all of you guys, even those that we do not agree with 100%. No, but just don't be mean, that's all. There's no reason that we can't find common ground. Of course not. And Eric, I do agree. I am sure that Sheila gets threats. I'm sure a Uh, lot of them get threats. Yeah. But if you want to be a public figure at a time when there is great change in the air in this nation, you have to, I'm not saying you have to be willing to be a martyr, but you have to be willing to take chances. You just have to. That's a, that is a huge part of this. I don't
0: know who that is. I
5: don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. Whitney Webb is a,
1: she, she is a reporter on uh, Ukraine and a lot of other things. And I think she's based in South America, if I remember correctly. All right. So well, I'll talk
0: to her. Yeah, I would have her huh? on. We'll talk to anybody, you know, you have a connection. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'll talk to people, especially people that are actually on the ground reporting. That's the only way we're ever going to find anything out because you're not going to find it out from turning on cable.
1: No, you're definitely not. That's Um, not the answer, people. Speaking of next week, on Monday, we will be speaking with uh, Keaton and, oh, crap. Um, I forgot. The Due Dissonance, guys. We're speaking with the Due Dissonance team, so we will have another crossover podcast next
0: week. And this is interesting because I've watched a few of their things since I saw this, and I really agree with them on everything I've seen so far in terms of their takes and in terms of how they feel like congressional representatives are not being accountable. Like I really agree with them, but they seem to be spending, in my opinion, they spend an inordinate amount of time talking about other content creators' failure to do things, And I'm not saying that they're wrong in whatever their assessment is, but and they probably do it to get viewers because you get clicks and likes. And when you do that stuff, but on the issues, they seem to be pretty spot on. So we'll be talking with the dude dissidents, guys.
1: We will. uh, We would love to have uh, Dave Smith on our podcast. That would be great. Definitely speak with him. He's a libertarian comedian, um, but definitely knows his stuff. Um, And then the following Wednesday. We will be speaking with somebody who played a huge role in Jen's Ascension when she started out running for office, and that is Zayna Day. Who has been going on Status Quo quite frequently? Don't know if it will just be her, but maybe get a few of our friends from Status Quo. Maybe yeah. even have uh, if we can convince Mr. Grumbine to come on.
0: We should get uh, no. We should get Tina to come on because we never had we have Tina hundreds.
1: Desiree Bird. Yeah,
0: yeah. That'd be
1: I see if she's available.
0: Yeah, because she's basically fills in now, and and you know, I just you know, she's a cool chick.
1: So we've got our lineup figured out for the next week plus. Haven't figured out what's going to. Oh, and. Uh, we will be speaking with another uh, crossover podcast, uh, Mark Savant. He will be coming on on February 1st. He is actually local and is going to help us, maybe help us figure out our connection issues in our studio. I don't know. I think that it's just a computer. We just need maybe. probably,
0: we needed a computer upgrade. I maybe think that's do. what we need is a computer maybe upgrade.
1: Yeah, that's what Best Buy is for. After holiday sales, all those wonderful things. What an incredible, wonderful place.
0: I don't do that.
1: Appreciate you guys. Remember, one more time, hit that like button. Make sure you're subscribed. Always check that you have clicked the bell to get reminders of our show when we go live. Obviously, we're slow but mighty, trying to grow.
0: We're small.
1: But we're effective. I think so. Effective enough. We'll see you Monday. Bye,
0: all.